Well, good morning, South Winds. It is so good, so very good to see each and every one of you. And uh, God has given us a lovely, beautiful time this morning, right? And we're going to enjoy it before the rain comes. Well, if you uh, have your Bible available, whether it's um, in paper or it's electronic, why don't you go ahead, get that open to Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're going to be starting a brand new study today um, in this letter, and uh, we'll be starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, working our way through verse 11. And if you are uh, new to Christianity, um, if you are just checking things out, You may wonder why we call this letter Philippians, and the answer is very simple. It's because Paul wrote it to the community of Christ followers or the church who lived in a city called Philippi. And we're calling this study our exploration of Philippians by the name of Joyful because this little book is all about how to live a life of joy. And you're going to see as we work our way through it, that Philippians teaches us that God wants the lives of all Christ followers to be filled with joy. Let me give you some real quick facts about the book, start orienting you to that. We'll do that a couple of times as we keep going, but it's a short book, uh, just 104 verses long, just around 2,000 words, depending on the English translation, and you could actually sit down sometime today and in about 20 minutes read the entire letter. And if you did that, you would discover that Philippians is one of the most practical, at the same time, most profound books in all of the Bible. In Philippians, we find enormous, enormous, staggering ideas about about how to deal with suffering in a broken world, about, about how to live with people who are hard to get along with, about who God truly is, and about the way that we relate to a world that has decided that God is either non-existent or irrelevant. And there's so much, so much more. Philippians is one of the most famous and probably most familiar books in the Bible. Those of you who have been Christ followers for some time are probably aware of this, that we find some of the most memorable lines in the Bible in Philippians. uh, Verses like, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Verses like, for to me to live is Christ and to die is, say it out loud, gain. Verses like, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Or verses like, I press on toward the goal to win the prize to which I have been called in Christ Jesus. Or how about this one? Many of you have memorized this one. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Or how about... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then there's that very familiar verse many of us claim as a promise at times in our lives when we are uh, hurting and having needs. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So these are very familiar words to many of you. But as we study this, you may find out that they don't mean exactly what you think they mean. Well, at its heart... Philippians is this book about living a joy-filled life no matter what. Paul, he uses the word uh, for joy or rejoice 16 times in these short uh, chapters. And that's kind of a surprising thing if you step back and look and stop to think about this. Because Paul, the author, he really doesn't seem like the guy who would write a book about joy. 
if you know about him, you know he was a driven, intense, goal-oriented, type A kind of a guy. He also lived his life with a great deal of pain. He had this physical affliction of, of some kind. We don't really know uh, what it was exactly, but he called it his thorn in the flesh. We know uh, that because he tells us that he begged God to deliver him from that, take it away three times, and God said no. The pain persisted. Paul was not only in pain um, constantly, he was also in almost constant trouble. You know, read about him in the book of Acts and in his letters, and you'll see that he was tortured eight times that we know of by government officials. He was imprisoned multiple times, shipwrecked three times. He was beaten by rioting mobs twice, attacked by wild animals. He was slandered by people, enemies regularly. In fact, Maybe you know this, but when he was writing the words we're going to study, this book of Philippians, he was in a place called prison. And he was actually, as it turns out, awaiting execution at the hands of the evil emperor Nero. When he wrote this letter, he was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He had no freedom. We're going to talk more about that particular thing next week. And yet, and yet, this letter is filled with joy. Now, if we get honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that Paul's life is far more difficult than our lives, even after coming out of a terrible year like 2020. But here's why that's good news. If Paul can be empowered by God to live a joyful life in all that he went through, then so can you. Amen? See, when I think about it, I would have to say that Philippians is a book that may have more statements of raw spiritual power than maybe any other book in the New Testament. It's an amazing book. It's just filled with deep themes of indestructible joy and of the power of unity with others and of the power of sacrificial servanthood. Paul writes in this book about the possibility of a life beyond anxiety. Would anyone like to hear more about that? So much is here, and I'm just telling you, if you will let it, this book will change your life, and we, Southwinds, we get to explore it together. Now, we see this life-changing power really immediately just right there in the opening verses, verses 1 through 11 that we're going to look at today. They talk about Paul's unlikely gratitude, and that's the title of this talk, and they give us insight about how we can live with joy. And as you're going to see, these verses show us that a joyful life comes and grows from a thankful heart, which we can cultivate even in incredibly difficult circumstances. So there's a couple of things going on in that statement. First, if you want to grow in joy, you must grow in gratitude. Can't have one without the other. And as we work our way through these verses, we're going to be asking, well, how do we do that? How do we grow in gratitude? How do we cultivate gratitude? And by using the word cultivate, I'm saying that you need to take intentional, uh, purposeful steps. You don't just try to let gratitude happen in your life. Has anybody else found out that never really works, just letting it happen? You have to decide. You have to build things into your life that enable you to cultivate gratitude. And this can happen even in difficult circumstances. And I want to give you four insights about that. Uh, you can write these down in your message notes, which you'll find in our app. And here's the first one. Uh, the first insight for cultivating gratitude is know 
who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. So gratitude starts with knowing who you are as a follower of Jesus. Here's how the letter begins, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's a word in these verses that you may have just passed over or maybe it stopped you in your tracks because it confused you when you heard it. But it's a word we need to unpack to understand how to begin to cultivate gratitude. Paul calls these people in the church at Philippi saints. Saints. And not just some of them, but all of them. And it was true. They were saints. And so are all of you who are followers of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the most uh, sweeping and dramatic declarations in all of Scripture is that every Christ follower is a saint. Not might be or not will be, but is. That is our new identity in Christ. And we just got done singing. I hope you haven't forgotten yet. I am who you say I am. And so that means, among other things, if God says you are a saint, you're a saint. Amen? We're saints. Now, here's the problem. I know what you're thinking. You don't feel very saintly, right? Well, neither do I. But I am one. And if you're a Christ follower, you are one too. You see, the meaning of that, that word saint is simply this, those who are set apart. And here's what the Bible teaches. The moment you commit your life to Christ, come to him as Savior and Lord, something dramatic happens to you um, in your spiritual position. The Bible says you were once dead, but now you're alive. Just like we sang, the Bible said you were once a slave, but now you're free. You were far off from God, but now you've been brought near. You were a stranger to God, but now you are his son or his daughter. You were a foreigner, a stranger, an alien. But now, the Bible says you are a citizen of God's kingdom. You were lost, but now you're found. And this is true, friends. Please listen to me. No matter what you have done, no matter who you are, no matter how you have lived and how long you've been living that way, when you come to Christ for forgiveness and you enter into a relationship with God, you experience a dramatic and fundamental identity change. God declares you to be a saint, a saint, set apart. Uh, the theologian Karl Barth once said this, Saints are unholy people who nevertheless as such, and that means as unholy people, nevertheless as unholy people have been singled out, claimed, and requisitioned by God for his control, for his use, for himself who is holy. That's you. Say that's me. So where does that leave us as saints who often don't feel very saintly. Well, it leaves us with the goal to live into our new identities. It leaves us with the goal to become functionally who we are positionally. And the Bible is really clear about this. Whenever uh, you come to Christ, you become a Christian, God has a very clear agenda for your life, and it's simply this, to make you like Jesus. So it is to have you become, this is the Christian life, it's what we're describing, this is what following Jesus is all about, have you become the person that he has already declared you to be? Do you get that? It's like God says, you are a saint, 
Now, live like one. But that's not all. God then says to you, and I'm going to help. I'm going to give you the power. Maybe you could think of it this way. Some of you are going to like this illustration. Some of you are going to be annoyed by it because you're, you're really annoyed by what's coming later on today. Uh, but this is for the football fans. And if you uh, understand this, you know that this afternoon, starting around noon, um, the NF NFL conference championships are going to be played, and whoever wins the two games is going to go to the Super Bowl. Now, let's just consider uh, the, the defending champs for this illustration, the Kansas City Chiefs. I see a couple people out there, traitors to us here in Tracy, who are actually fans of the Chiefs, but you can pray for them. Just go ahead and do that right now. Uh, but they're the defending champs. They're also among the favorites to make it back. And I just want to think of this picture. What if their coach, Andy Reid, came to you and said, you're on the team. You are now officially a member of the world champions. Here's your uniform. Here's your locker. And don't worry. Your place on the team has nothing to do with your athletic abilities. And you say, thank you, God. He says, I've just chosen to accept you. I've just chosen to make you a part of the team. But here's what I want you to do. Now that you're here, now that you're on my team, I want you to let me develop you into a professional athlete. You see, spiritually speaking, that's the offer God is making to you. It's only as you allow God to work in your life that you find a truly joyful life. And so I'm just asking you right now, do you know who you are in Christ? And I'm telling you right now, you will find gratitude, and that gratitude will grow into joy when you begin to learn how to rest in that reality. You are a saint. You are God's beloved son or daughter. You're part of God's family. Second insight, remember what God has done for you. Now, we begin the main part of this letter now, and this is verses 3 through 6. Paul says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, some of you may be kind of wondering right now, I mean, can we talk about gratitude in the middle of a pandemic? I mean, do you think telling people, Pastor Mike, that they should be grateful in 2021 after 2020, isn't that kind of insensitive? Isn't that kind of unrealistic? And my first response is, well, maybe you should ask Paul that question. And I remind you, that Paul, this incredibly grateful man, was in prison, suffering far more than any of us are. He is literally awaiting his death. He's also writing a letter to a church that was itself experiencing persecution. And yet the very first words that come out of his mouth after the greeting are, I thank my God. Are those words on your lips with any regularity these days? What's Paul doing? Well, what he's doing in these verses is he's remembering what God has done for him. It says in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time. Every time I remember you. And so what I'm telling you is remembering what God has done for you cultivates gratitude. 
And that's exactly what's going on with Paul. In this case, he's thinking back. He's remembering how the church in Philippi began. And if you want to read about it, you can check it out this week sometime maybe. In Acts 16, you'll find the story, the historical account. And you'll find it's the story of a riot. It's the story of a mob beating. It's the story uh, of being thrown into jail and then an earthquake in jail and then a jail break. And Paul is remembering all these things. He's, he's remembering the people that were involved. He's remembering Lydia, the wealthy uh, cloth merchant. He's remembering the jailer and his family. He's remembering the little girl set free from demonic possession. And as Paul remembers and thinks about what God did, his gratitude grows. And that gratitude then produces joy. Let's keep going. Verses 4 and 5 say, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And, and now we get introduced to this theme of joy here in this letter. It's the first of the 16 times Paul's going to mention it in Philippians. And, and every time this note is sounded, you're going to see this. It's going to be building deeper and louder into this orchestra of, of lasting, beautiful, amazing joy. But what I want you to see here is the connection between joy and gratitude, how joy flows from gratitude. And just think about it. You know it's true. Grateful people are joyful people, right? And that kind of joy and that kind of gratitude for truly grateful, joyful people is never dependent on external circumstances. See, maybe you can write this down. Maybe you can think about this. Joy is not the absence of trials. It's the life-giving presence of God in the midst of trials. I heard someone say not too long ago that Philippians is a letter about defiant joy. Joy that defies circumstances. Joy that defies tragedy. Joy that defies heartbreak. Joy that defies grief. Joy that defies pain. And I'm just wondering if any of us would like to have some of that kind of joy. Again, I think it's important for us to just be brutally honest with where we are right now. 2020 was a terrible year, and all God's people said. And right now, 2021 doesn't look a whole lot better, at least not for a time. But here's the thing. For those of us who know Jesus, isn't it true? Get ready to say amen that there is so much that we can be grateful for. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you right now, Southwinds, don't let all the changes in life blind you to what is unchanging. Don't let all the losses you've experienced rob you of all that you still have. Don't net, let the need that you have maybe right now to grieve think that there's not a need to also give thanks. You know, it would be easy to think that grieving and giving thanks are opposites, like you can't do both. But I want to suggest to you, I want to assert to you that, that gratitude and grief are not contradictory. In fact, I would say they're often two sides of the same coin. And I think we've learned that during 2020 more than ever before. Because loss actually helps us to be grateful for things we used to take for granted. I mean, think about that in our lives right now. I mean, may we never... May we never take for granted again being able to gather together in person as the church and worship and adore Christ. May we never take for granted hearing the voices of other Christ followers all around us as we sing. Amen? I mean, may we never take for granted being able to go and sit next to a friend who's hurting and just 
be with them. May we never take for granted a handshake, a hug, be near to people we love. I mean, hey, I'm glad I can do this to you guys, but I don't really want to do this for very much longer. Do you? See, this is something I hope we learn through this time that as we grieve our losses, our gratitude actually grows for the things that we once took for granted. And I'll, I'll just be real candid with you. One of my biggest fears for some of you is that whenever it is that we finally get past this, and we will, you're just going to return to the old ways that you lived your life in before where you took God and you took God's blessings for granted. See, if you want to live a joyful life, you have to give thanks and you have to do it even when life is hard. And there is so much to be thankful for even in 2021. And so, you know, when you really think about it, whatever comes your way, you always really have two options. You can either take things for granted or you can give thanks. Which one do you want to do? First Thessalonians 5.18 tells you which one you should do. Do you know this verse? Have you memorized this verse? Give thanks in all circumstances, Paul writes, for this is God's will for you who are in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. God's will. That's how God wants you to live. Now, I want to be clear, as always, it doesn't say to give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. You say, why? Well, it's because we know that God is with us in those circumstances. I want you to go back to the Philippian text. Notice verse 6. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Many of you probably have memorized this one, too. Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And here's what I want you to see. Paul's in prison. Paul's about to die. Paul hurts all the time. He's probably sick as he's writing this. He doesn't know what's in front of him. But in all of that uncertainty, Paul is confident that what God had started, God would finish. And he's remembering He's looking back on God's faithfulness. He's cultivating gratitude, and God is giving him confidence for moving forward. And, and the point he's making here is very simple, and I think some of you need to write this down because you need to look at it today and tomorrow and the day after that. You need to keep looking at it, and here's what it is. God always finishes what he starts, always. He doesn't just start a work of grace in someone's life. And then leave it up to them to finish it through their own effort. God always saves and then he always sustains whatever he starts. Um, some of you know that um, I've been your pastor here for 18 years now. And, and I grew up in California. Um, thank God. But I spent over 13 years uh, before I came to Tracy in 2003. I spent 13 years pastoring a church in the suburbs of Chicago. And, and this verse reminded me of something um, that happened in Chicago a few years ago. Maybe you remember reading about it. They, they wanted to build this 150-story building. They were going to call it the Chicago Spire, and it was going to be the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere. Their plans, uh, they started working on them in 2005. They broke ground in 2007, and they built a foundation, one of the biggest, strongest foundations ever built. And then, of course, in 2008 financial recession hit, and everything got put on hold. And today, 2021, there's this huge hole sitting right there in the heart of Chicago, just that foundation. They, they had a great idea, and they got off to a great start. It was a good work, but 
they couldn't finish what they started. Here's what I'm telling you. Our God is not like that. Never. God always finishes what he starts. And some of you, maybe, I don't know who this would apply to, but you know if you hear these words and God speaks his Holy Spirit to you, you need to hear that today. Because maybe you can look back and see that God's done a great work on your life, in your life, in the past. But right now, you look at your life and you think, I'm not sure. Can I get through this? Can I hold on? Will I endure all of this? And I want you to hear, I want you to hear, God can get you through this. Why? Because God always finishes what he starts and that, that just tells us this time right now, January of 2021, is a time that we need to cultivate gratitude. How do we do that? Well, start with knowing who you are in Christ. You get, get that firmly in your heart and in your mind and, and, and remind yourself of that every day. And then remember what God has done for you. And then third, there's a third thing we see in verses 7 and 8. Trust what God is doing in you. And so there's kind of a shift here from the past to the present. In those two verses, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And, and just notice the present tense of these verses, uh, verbs Paul's using. I have you in my heart, not I had you in my heart. He says all of you share in God's grace with me, not shared. Just think about it, okay? Keep reminding yourself that every word you're reading in this book is being written by a man who's in prison. And right now, there is literally a wall between him and these Philippian Christians that he loved. They're, they're hundreds of miles apart. He is isolated, in prison, chained to a Roman guard. And he says to them, I have you in my heart. And it doesn't really seem to make sense, does it? I mean, it's either crazy or it's beautiful. But I would say this is one of the most striking features of Philippians. Paul is in prison. And yet he rejoices repeatedly in the gift of community. Now, I, I want you to see, especially here, how this is connected to gratitude. Because I think a lot of times, especially as Americans in our individualistic culture, we think gratitude is just kind of this thing that I need in my heart. And it's just me. And it's just my heart, my attitude. But Philippians is showing us that gratitude is deeply tied to relationships. You look back quickly to verse 5. We read, read it earlier. Paul uses this, this beautiful phrase to describe what I'm talking about. He talks about a partnership in the gospel. And, and this word partnership is really rich. And Paul is going to use it over and over again in Philippians. And it gets translated in, in some different ways. It's not always rendered partnership in English. But it means, just literally, they share something in common. In fact, many of you, uh, you, you know this Greek word, it's the word koinonia. And uh, they are bound together. That's what Paul is saying. But, but what you need to keep in mind is that the center of this partnership is not preference, not affinity, not ethnicity, not anything else but the gospel. It's a partnership in the gospel. And if you start looking at it here in Philippians, you see this partnership in the gospel is really deep. In fact, there's some layers to it that we can detect as we read through Philippians. First, and I'll give you, the, I'll give you three of them, the partnership in the gospel is spiritual. So we know that they are united in Christ. 
I mean, if we read Philippians 2, we see that Paul's going to say they share a partnership in the Holy Spirit. If we go to Philippians 3, he's going to say that they share in the sufferings of Christ. All of these things are partnership. And then secondly, we see this partnership in the gospel is also relational. It's deeply relational. And we learn as we keep reading that the Philippian church has sent a man named Epaphroditus. And in fact, if any of you are getting ready to have kids, you should put this on your child's name. It can be used for a boy or girl because no one knows about whether it applies. But Epaphroditus, just keep that in mind. And um, just trying to see if anybody's paying attention, okay? Um, But this man named Epaphroditus, we are told, was sent from Philippi to help Paul out. And if, if you read the letter, you'll see that Paul is writing this letter back to them, and Epaphroditus is going to deliver it. So there's this incredibly relational partnership they have. But then third, third layer is it's financial. Because these Philippians are supporting Paul financially. If you look over at Philippians 4, let me read verses 14 to 16 for you. Paul says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And that word share, same word, partnership. Moreover, verse 15, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. So this church in Philippi was supporting Paul financially on his missionary journey. So they have this they have this partnership in the gospel that's deeply deeply spiritual but it but it also plays out in very very practical ways and I want you to see how this is connected to gratitude you see Paul's thankful heart evoked thankfulness in others as they responded to his love and affection for them and this in turn led to more of them becoming thankful which then created a a culture of thankfulness across the entire Philippian church have you ever noticed how that works? How many of you, just a quick question just to check, how many of you wake up grouchy in the morning? How, 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 how many of you just let him sleep? Bad joke, I know, I know, but hey, just wanted to check and get, see if you're, you're listening, right? But isn't it true? I mean, if, if someone in your family is cranky or angry or bitter, doesn't that like rub off on everybody? And, and then, turn it around, if someone in your family is joyful and thankful, doesn't that change the entire atmosphere of your home? I mean, it works both ways. And what I'm talking about really is where we are in this moment right now. We don't like the way things are. We long for change right now, and that's right, that's good, that's okay. But do not, friend, do not friends, do not let what you don't have keep you from gratitude and from joy for what you do have. I just want to call you today to give thanks for the relationships that you do have, even though you may not be experiencing them as fully as you'd like. Don't let social distancing keep you from growing in depth with brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, some of you have been pursuing relationship, and you are so much better off for it. But I want to tell you, if you haven't yet, it's not too late to start. So start to cultivate gratitude. Here's what we need to do. Paul's telling us we need to know who we are. We need to remember what God has done. We we need to trust in what God is doing. And then finally, number four, hope in what God will do in you. Verses 9 through 11. 
And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And there's so much in these three verses. I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of guys that preach an entire sermon on just these three verses. But I want to point out a couple things. It's, it's almost like, if, as I read this, Paul is saying, I want you to imagine the possibilities of what can God, God can do in the midst of this. How God can change lives. And he expresses this through prayer. I would say, and I think you would agree when you think about it, that prayer is the purest form of gratitude. Because prayer recognizes every gift is from above, from our Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. I mean, think about it like this. And I'm telling you, if you don't understand this, you need to begin to. There is nothing good in your life that you cannot trace back to God. Every good, every perfect gift comes from above. The scripture says that. It's true. And so our natural response to that should be to give thanks and express gratitude. Maybe you could think of it like this. I mean, how many of you right now are, are missing the ability to eat out wherever, whenever you want to? You, you just really miss going somewhere and eating out. You know, we can't do that right now. So that made me think of this. What if someone, you know, because of this, came to you and, and they made you this incredible meal? They're just this very skilled cook. You know, they're, they're really good, and they make your favorite food with all your favorite side dishes. They, they do all the work. They put it all together. They sit, they sit you down at a table. They set it out before you, this wonderful meal, all these different things. It's yours to eat. What would you do? Would you just look at the food, look at them, shrug your shoulders, and then dig in and start eating? Well, actually, I hope not. Um, I hope you wouldn't do that. I think what you would do is you would give thanks. You would give thanks. And the Bible says that it's God who feeds us. It's God who ultimately provides for all of our needs. So may we give thanks. I mean, just eating food, we have a chance several times a day to give thanks. We can pause and, and give thanks and recognize that this food that we're eating, it comes ultimately from the hand of the Lord. Think about it like this. Let's get even more basic. What if it was, you know, up in the air whether or not you were going to breathe tomorrow? Not a sure thing. And then what if someone came to you and said they had a way to actually put air in your lungs? Wouldn't you use the air that they put in your lungs to give them thanks? See, God is the one who's putting air in our lungs right now. And, and I, I love that song we sing uh, from All Sons and Dar Daughters. We sang it not very long ago. Great are you, Lord. Do you know that song? Do you remember the line that I'm pointing to and thinking about? It says, it's your breath in our lungs. You ever stop to think? That breath you just took in, not yours, not your air. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. See, God is the giver of life, the giver of every good gift we have. May we give thanks for everything he's given us. And we do this through prayer. 
You see, prayer is an expression of gratitude. But I want you to notice it's also an instrument to cultivate gratitude in our lives. And that means the more we pray, the more likely we are to be grateful. So I'm going to encourage you to be disciplined in your prayer. You say, what should I pray about? Well, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about the things we typically pray about and then read Paul's prayers in the Bible. And I want you to notice what Paul prays for, for these people that he loves so much. He prays that their love would abound, that they grow in love. See, and, and it's not just that he prays they would have just enough love. He wants them to abound in love, knowing that God is abounding in love for us, knowing that when we experience God's abounding love for us, we give that love. It abounds out to other people in our church family, out from them to our church, to our communities that are around us. But then he also says that something very important for us today, that love must be accompanied with knowledge and discernment. And this is such an important word in the 21st century for Americans because love is not fundamentally a feeling, and so many of us think it is. Love is fundamentally about action, and it's always action based on truth, and truth is always ultimately found in God's word. And here's the thing. So many of us, we think we love when we feel a certain way. Some of us... We think it's love to feel loving feelings and say nice things to someone who's headed down a destructive path. And that's actually unloving. To affirm someone who's damaging their own life by disobeying God. We're being reminded here that we must love in word and deed based on God's truth. And God wants us to abound in that kind of love. Love that enables us to discern what is best, what is pure, what is blameless, what is right. The only way we can abound in this kind of love is when we know God's truth revealed to us in God's word, the Bible. I think it's interesting when you think about these verses that, that Paul is praying for something that requires God's word to carry out. And it is always that way. It's always God's word and prayer, God's word and prayer, prayer and God's word, prayer and God's word. They always go together. We need both. Now, we have been in this place, this place of pandemic for a long time, more than 10 months, and it, it kind of seems sometime like it will never end. I think Paul is reminding us here, in all the struggle and all the loss, we can still have hope. And the reason is this, it's because we know God's promises. You see, friends, can I remind you right now, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. We know our future is guaranteed. We know that God will never leave or forsake us. We know that God is working out all things together for the good of those who love him. We know that God is bringing peace even now in the midst of so much confusion and so much chaos. And I just want to remind you, Southwinds, I want to remind you, we are going to get through this. And we are going to get through this together. And I don't know when, I don't know how. But I know the one who does know when and the one who does know how. And so do you. And so, and so none of that, what we're talking about today, none of what we're going to explore as we keep going through uh, Philippians is telling us it's going to be easy. <laughs> I was thinking this week, I don't know about you, but I gave up on quick a long time ago, right? Oh, it's going to be done in May. Oh, August. Surely September, Christmas, right? I mean, have you, who, who's gone through that, you know? We just keep thinking, and, and so now it's just like, I don't know, not, gonna, not even going to try to figure it out. But I do know 
I do know with God's grace, we're going to get through this together. I also know that telling you you need to cultivate gratitude and live a joyful life does not diminish the hardship that we've been experiencing. In fact, as I said earlier, expressing gratitude doesn't keep us from grieving as well. We've all been grieving in one way or another, and we've got to keep taking our grief to the Lord. But even in grieving, we can be grateful. We can be grateful because what we have in Christ can never be taken away from us. We, we can be grateful even in trials that we have one another. And, and aren't you encouraged every week when you come and you sit out here in the cold in your hoodies and your sunglasses and I can't tell if you're awake or asleep, you know? Um, aren't you grateful to just have these brothers and sisters around you? We're together. And God's never going to allow that to be taken from us. We can be grateful in this, knowing that God is always about bringing beauty out of brokenness. That's why Paul could say, in prison, chained to a Roman guard, I give thanks to God when I remember you and I pray for you. I just have to tell you, as I read this week these words and prepared to preach, it caused my joy and gratitude in my heart to well up for you. And I, I'm not uh, certainly not the Apostle Paul. He, he's writing this letter to the church that he planted, but I've been your pastor for 18 years, and, and I can't read words like this without feeling similar things toward you all. And all your pastors and all your elders pray for you, and, and as we do, we are filled with joy and we are filled with gratitude, especially now. You know, this time, this time has been a test, a, a test of faith for, for all of us, both as individuals, also as a church. And I just want to say today, I'm so very grateful that you, the Southwinds family, have been so very faithful throughout this time as we've walked together this uncertain journey. Thank you for responding to leadership. Thank you for continuing to chase community in your life groups. Thank you for giving faithfully so that we as the church can be generous to people in need in our church family and then also into our community. Thank you for all the prayers that you have prayed throughout this time. I have gratitude and joy for you. And I think that Philippians, as we keep exploring, keep working, going deeper and deeper into it, is just going to show us how we can truly live a joyful life. But it starts with cultivating gratitude, and then, as we see, with cultivating joy. Now, I want to close by giving you a practical challenge, okay? If you thought you could just come here and sit and shiver and go home, nope, that's not good enough. Um, I want to give you a practical challenge that I think will be very helpful for you, and then I want to give you a gospel declaration, and I think both of these will help you cultivate gratitude and joy in your life. So here's the practical challenge. Sometime this week, take a piece of paper, maybe a journal, something you like to write in, and sit there before the Lord and write down the things you're grateful for. You say, how do I do that? Well, just follow the pattern that Paul gives here. Start with who you are and think through your past and look at your present and think about what God promises for your future you know, just go through that. Take a few moments and write down all those things you're grateful for. And I am confident because some of you have done this before and you know what I'm talking about, right? It builds your joy. It grows your gratitude. And along with this, just as part of helping you do this, I want to challenge you uh, to memorize one verse uh, from our text today, and that's verse 6. Being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the, until the day of Christ Jesus. Memorize that verse. Say it over and over again. Um, your life group uh, handout that's going to be sent out to you today, um, it's going to have some, some tools on how to memorize how to do that. And, and I'm going to be giving you some verses throughout this entire series. I want to encourage you to take that, take that on. I think it'll be so important for you to grow in your gratitude and grow in your joy by getting God's word in your heart. And then there's one more step with this challenge. After you write these things down, be intentional about telling people in your life you're grateful for them. In other words, express thankfulness for people to those people. Call them. Send a text message. Write an email. Set up a Zoom call, whatever it is, and just let people know you're grateful. Do not let another day go by without telling people in your life you're thankful for them. So that's a practical challenge. Here's the gospel declaration. I want to end with this because, you know, as we, we talk about all the things we can be grateful for, there's so many things that will come to mind. But as you're thinking through all of those things, writing them down, do not forget the greatest thing to be grateful for. And nothing compares to this. And it simply is this. The king of the universe loves you and has sought you out. And even though you have sinned and rebelled against them, he is for you. He sent his son for you. And his son, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life in every area of our lives where we fall short. Jesus was faithful. Everything he did was perfectly loving to the father, to neighbor, and to the world. He lived a perfect life. And yet, and yet, then he took that perfect life and offered it up as a sacrifice in our place because, friends, let's own it. We have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus, the Son of God, goes to the cross to die for our sins in our place so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be washed clean, so that we can be made new, so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can be adopted into his family, so that we can live and have a relationship with the king of the universe. You see, that's why God raised Jesus from the grave and why he's alive today. And it's the basis for our confidence that the same power that conquered death can dwell in us through faith. That's what the Bible teaches. When we trust in Christ, when we believe the gospel, the good news that Christ has died for our sins and that Christ lives today by God's power to bring us into God's kingdom, it is then, then that we can see the immeasurable riches of God's grace that we have in Christ. We have, we have so much more to be grateful for than we could ever imagine. Amen? Let me ask you this. Has God been good to you? Has he poured out his grace and his mercy and his generosity on your life? If he has, and he has, then give thanks give thanks. Express your gratitude in prayer, in worship, and in a life that is lived for the glory of God. We can be grateful people. We can have lives full of joy as we rest in our identity in Christ. And, and out of that identity, we remember what God has done for us, and we trust in what God is doing now, even today. And then we look to the future, and we have confident hope in what God will do. 
And as we do this, we will be able to say with increasing confidence and increasing trust, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your grace, for all you've done, all you're doing, all you will do. And we respond, Lord, with grateful, thankful hearts. And we give you glory. We give you praise. And, Lord, we ask that that you would give us where we need this, the eyes to see how gracious you've been to us, all the gifts you've given us. Lord, we pray that you would help us by your spirit, not, not to rejoice merely in the gifts, but always to look to the giver of the gifts to rejoice in you, our God, our creator, our redeemer, our savior. Lord, we thank you. You are our God. You are our father. And we together as your people pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Lord, Jesus our savior. And all God's people, all God's people together say, amen, amen, amen. Well, this is the day the Lord has made. Amen. Let us rejoice and let us be glad in it. I hope, I pray that, that you will have a, a wonderful day in the Lord. And we will look forward to seeing you uh, next Sunday, uh, Lord willing. I want to also make sure, if you didn't know, that uh, today is going to be uh, Jay's last week with us. And so if you haven't had a chance to say goodbye, it sure be appreciated, I think, for for him and Kim, and, and if, if he doesn't want me to say that, I can't tell because he's got his glasses on and a mask, but if he doesn't want me to say that, it's like too bad. So um, anyway, we're going to have a uh, great time together um, celebrating God's goodness to us next week. We hope that you will be here uh, for that, uh, weather permitting, Lord willing, and have a great uh, time together in the Lord. Amen. Just begun and fail you won't define me because that's what my father does. Yeah, fail you won't define.